0: morning, everybody. It's good to be here again on Sunday morning. And uh, church, just, it's just so, um, it's, we have such a good family here at Southland. I love coming here and talking to you guys and praying with you guys and worshiping with you guys. It's just, it's just an awesome place to be uh, every Sunday. For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirks. I'm the main teaching pastor here. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to finally wrap up the Joseph series, part 10. We've been in jo- on Joseph since uh, July. And uh, I said to someone just today, I almost feel like I'm going to miss Joseph a little bit. I feel like I've kind of gotten to know him and uh, uh, over the course of this series. But we're going to do part 10 here. And so far up to this, uh, up to this point in the series, we've, we've systematically gone through uh, chapters, Genesis chapters 37 through 44 as of last week. And uh, for those of you who know anything about Genesis, you know there's six chapters left. I'm not going to be able to systematically cover six chapters today. Um, but we're going to finish off... With I think uh, the most fitting, I had a few things I wanted to talk about yet in this series, um, but I just felt like I could not finish this series off without really uh, hitting the uh, what I think is sort of the concluding, the biggest concluding. Uh, topic or important point in the Joseph story, and that is forgiveness. And so we're going to be in chapters 45 and 50 today, and we're going to end this series uh, uh, talking about forgiveness. So bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and then we're we're going to do this. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, first of all, that you have forgiven us. And uh, those of us who have repented of our sins and come to you, Jesus, truly, you have forgiven us, and I thank you for that. Thank you that you have washed us clean. Jesus, you now call us to a whole new level of forgiveness in our lives. And uh, we're going to see it here. You modeled it for us on the cross. Now, Joseph modeled it for us in this story. Jesus, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would make this come alive again, that you would convict us, that you would speak to us, that you would be fresh to us again here this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so 45, chapter 45, starting in verse 1. We read these first couple of verses at the end of last week's message, but we'll just go through them again, and then we'll just carry on. Uh, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, and, and you're going to see today in this, in this story, he cries a lot. Joseph was a crier, all right? Uh, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So they were dismayed at his presence. In other words, they were terrified for obvious reasons. Um, it's, I mean, I can't think of anything probably or a few things that would be more terrifying than this than that you hurt someone that when they were helpless, and you did something terrible to them when they were helpless, and now the tables have been turned, and you are helpless in front of them. Okay, that, that is terrifying. Okay, they're at his mercy now after what they did to him when he was at their mercy. It actually reminded me this week, I, I was thinking of a story. Probably, I, I wonder if a bunch of us maybe have had similar experiences, not to this level obviously, but I was uh, remembering something from high school. I remember there was this, this one guy in, in high school and I, I teased him a bit and, uh, and it, by the way, a good ending, we ended up being friends, it's all fine, I apologize. But what I didn't know when I was teasing him was that he had older brothers and uh, bigger brothers and... Uh, I will, I will never, I'll never forget the time his one older brother who had a bit of a reputation for craziness and anger, he showed up. I was working part-time in those days at the gas station in Kleefeld and uh, my humble beginnings, right? So uh, anyway, and uh, so there I am uh, all by myself. I mean, when you're in Kleefelt, you're often all by yourself. It's kind of lonely there, but I'm outside and uh, nobody else around when you need them, right? And this guy pulls up and he introduces himself to me. And I mean, the moment he says who he is, you know, my heart is like... <laughs> Oh, he had an older brother, did he? Okay. And uh, after that, he graphically described to me some of the things he was planning to do to me if I didn't stop. And after that, I completely, it was over, right? But the point is, I mean, some of you probably maybe had this experience and then uh, the experience is, you know, you did something to someone when they were helpless and now the tables are turned. It's not a good feeling when you're at the mercy of them then, right? And so these guys are dismayed at his presence and really this is the ultimate revenge scenario. Those of you who, you know, if people have done something bad to you or when you were in school, you'll remember, you know, someone picked on you, they did something mean to you and uh, then of course when you, as you walked home, right, you, you daydream. I mean, we've, I think most of us have been there. You daydream about the ways you'd like to get back at them if you were bigger stronger or whatever and joseph is there this is joseph is getting to live this the ultimate revenge scenario okay his brothers did horrible really horrible things to him. 20 years earlier, you know, they listened to his cries. He begged them for mercy. Uh, they stripped off his robe. They threw him in a pit. He begged to, for them not to sell him into slavery, and then they did it, and he's been suffering for 20 years. You know, he's, been, he's just been in this world of hurt and betrayal and all that injustice, and now he actually has them, okay? The lion has them in his paws, and it's the ultimate revenge scenario. They're terrified, and this is his chance, except that he doesn't take it at all does he I mean he doesn't take it at all in fact the first question he says to his brothers I mean this is his chance I mean he's been in he's been in prison he's been in slavery think of all the times I mean those of you who have been hurt before which would be probably all of us unless you're you know a day or two old only in this world but all of us have been hurt by people well, think about the times when you've been hurt before by people and and as time goes by how many times you run through that hurt right you run through that scenario and how much they hurt you and all sort of stuff. And, and you think about what you wish you could say to them. And you think about what you wish you could do to them if, if, if you only could, right? And Joseph has that opportunity here. And instead of doing any of that, he just says, how's dad? I mean, he doesn't take advantage, right? Is my father still alive? And you know, I was, it, it's so important, again, because this story is so familiar to us that I think oftentimes we just fail to stop and just really think about what's going on. So we we know he's going to forgive, so it doesn't surprise us so we don't think about it. We just read the story. I read it to you. Of course, Chris, I knew he was going to forgive. I knew when you started this message that Joseph was going to forgive. I've heard this story a hundred times before. And sometimes we fail to to, to just put ourselves in his shoes and think about what would we have said if we were in his shoes. And I was putting myself, trying to put myself in Joseph's shoes this week, and I was thinking about what most of us would want to do in his shoes. And just putting aside the revenge thing. I mean, many of us, I mean, it would just be the dream, right? I can now finally get my revenge. I can finally do whatever. You know, even just putting aside the revenge thing, at the very least, as I was thinking about it this week, I realized what m- the vast majority of people would do if they had this opportunity with Joseph. Even putting aside the thoughts of revenge, at the very least, one of the first things you would want to say to someone who had hurt you that bad, and you now have the power, and they are forced to listen to you. You're the one in charge. They have to listen. They can't go anywhere. You can do whatever you want. I, I think the vast majority of people in that situation would want to tell them how much, that, how much they'd gone through, how much pain they'd been through put through. Isn't that true? Like you've been 20 years suffering with this. You know, you've been in prison, you've been falsely accused, you've been a, you know, you've been a slave, you've been all this sort of stuff, and all this, these scenarios have been going through your mind for years and years and years and years. Now you finally have these brothers who betrayed you and did the most wicked things to you. You finally have them here as a captive audience, and this is the chance for you to say, do you know what you did to me? Isn't this the ultimate opportunity for that? Did did you, do you guys know what I've been through the last twenty years? Like we'd wanna we'd wanna spew some of that hurt out. We'd wanna take them through point by point. Do you know what I went through? Do you know what it was like to be in that pit? I, mean, I can just hear Joseph if he was more like. You know, most of us, I think. I can just hear him, you know, explain to his brothers, do you, do you realize when you sold me to those Ishmaelite traders, they tied my wrists together, they made me walk through the desert, I was tied to a camel, I just about died of thirst and heat, and the agony, the sand was so hot, and I can just hear him going, you know, point by point. You don't know what, do you know what it was like to be a, a humiliated as a slave in a slave market? And I can just hear him, you know, just point by point by point, taking his brothers through, do you know what I've been through? Do you know what you put me through? Isn't that what we want to do when people have hurt us? You know, even aside from just the desires for revenge, at the very least, we want them to feel bad about what they, about what they did to us. We want them to feel with us what they put us through. Isn't that true? You, you, you have to hear what I went through. You have to feel what I went through. Yet there's none of that with Joseph. I mean, Not only is his first question about dad, he's not spilling out all of his hurt. You'd think hurt would be spilling out of every word that came out of his mouth. But he's thinking about his dad. If we go to the very next verse, we find it's actually even more amazing than that. His very next thought is for his brother's well-being. I mean, this is absolutely incredible The model of forgiveness we have here. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. In other words, not only does he not, you know, most of us want to throw our hurt and pain back in the face of the people who've hurt us. That's just a very natural human thing to do. Someone hurts me, I want to throw that pain back in their face. Do you know how much you hurt me? Because we want them to feel the guilt. We want them to feel the hurt that they made us feel. We want them to feel bad about what they did to us. Joseph is the exact opposite. These guys have hurt him so bad, he has them right here, dead to rights. He can get any revenge on them he wants. He can spill all the pain on them that he wants. They are at his mercy. And all he can say to them is, guys, I don't even want you to feel bad about it anymore. I mean, we're looking here at a level of forgiveness that is absolutely stunning and uh and just to tie this again with last week's message i want to make sure there's no confusion here last week we talked a lot about godly remorse and how when you're the person who's done something wrong in order for god to really work in your life in order for that forgiveness to flow you actually have to come to a place of feeling godly uh, sorrow right godly remorse we talked about how it's so important to recognize how wicked you've been and to feel that hurt and have the godly sorrow leading repentance That's very important um But there's a flip side to that coin, right? Today, and so you're wondering, well, Joseph didn't want them to feel pain? Um, Well, we're we're looking at it today from the flip side, from the victim side, right? When you're the perpetrator and you've done bad, it is so important that you come to a place of godly sorrow so you can repent properly. I mean, and God wants you to come to that point, and that's when he begins to move in your life. He has to come to a place of brokenness. But on the flip side of the coin, when you're the victim, when we're the victim, often what we want is for the people to keep feeling bad. Isn't that true? We want to make them feel bad. Many times, even after they've said sorry, we still want them to feel bad. Isn't that true? This is so true of how we are as human beings. Someone hurt us really deeply, whatever it was. It could be adultery, could be, uh, you know, they just, you know, they took really bad advantage of you, abuse, whatever it is. And years later, maybe they even said sorry, and they want to make things right. But even after they said sorry, we still sometimes bring it up because we want to make sure that they still feel guilty. Isn't that true? We want them to feel hurt because we're hurt and we were hurt. Now I want you to feel that hurt. That's how we are. And here's Joseph. I mean, just the ultimate revenge scenario, not only is he not taking revenge on them, his heart is so healed up inside. There is such a level of forgiveness in there that he can actually say to them and mean it. He can say, I don't even want you to be distressed or angry with yourselves anymore over this, what you did to me. That is a level of forgiveness that is just, it's it's a high standard. And by the way, this is not, you know, I think sometimes we look at these things in the Bible and we think, well, that was good for Joseph, you know. Good for Joseph. He he got that good level of forgiveness. I'm just going to settle for more of a mediocre level of forgiveness. No. This is actually what true forgiveness looks like. This is what all forgiveness is supposed to look like. This isn't just Joseph reached a higher level of forgiveness and the rest of us can just pitter-patter along with a more, you know, mundane level of forgiveness. No, no. This is what Jesus did for us at the cross. This is what Jesus expects from us to others. This is what forgiveness when it is true and when it is complete and when it is finished. This is what it's supposed to look like. It should go right to the bottom of our hearts. And I want to show you four things this morning. Because before we can even talk about how do you forgive, we first have to talk about what does forgiveness look like? What does forgiveness look like? I want to show you four things. Two things we see here, right here from this passage. What does true forgiveness look like? You know you've finished truly forgiving someone from the heart when you no longer feel the need to talk about the hurt they did to you. You know you've finished truly forgiving someone from the heart when you no longer feel the need to talk about the hurt they did to you. And the second thing we see in this passage so far, and we're going to see two more that Joseph exhibits for us, but the second one we see in just in this passage so far is, you know you've finished truly forgiving someone from the heart when you genuinely desire the person who hurts you not to feel guilty or distressed about their wicked actions anymore. I mean, that is, that, that, it, that is, that is what forgiveness looks like, okay? And, and so I just want to say a couple of comments. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit already here, but I want to say a few comments about that. You no longer feel the need to talk about the hurt they did to you. If you still feel the need okay? If you still, and by the way, you know, I want to say something here today, too, just just right here at the beginning, right near the beginning. Some of you here today, you're here today and you have a defining moment or a defining, you know, hurt in your life. Maybe it was abuse, whatever it is, different things, bad things. You have a defining thing in your life that you can think of right right away. The moment I talk about forgiveness, you can think about hurts in your life that are sort of defining hurts in your life, huge hurts that you've carried around with you for years and you know exactly, when I talk about forgiveness, you know already exactly where God is gonna have to help you to forgive, okay? And some of you have that, okay? But some of the rest of you here today, you might be more like me. I was raised in just a really good home. I get to work a really great job here in a really great environment. You know, I just have a a personality that just naturally tends to be happy. I, I, I don't tend to get hurt that easily. And you might be one of those people. You've had a good past. You've had amazing parents. You've been blessed in many ways. You might not have a defining hurt in your life. You may not have a, that defining moment of a crisis, a really bad trauma you went through that, you know, you can think of right away when I talk about forgiveness and you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, all those other people need this message about forgiveness. But I just want to make something very clear right now here today. This message is for all of us because the fact of the matter is the fact that you are human means there is every year, even probably every month, There is just this buildup of stuff. People mistreat us. People do things. People say things. And even those of you here today who you don't think you have a defining hurt in your life and you can't think of anything off the top of your head, I bet you for most of you, there are people in your life, if if I could put their picture in front of you right now, I could find someone you don't like. I could find someone who makes your stomach turn just a little bit because of something they said or something they did. And the fact of the matter is that this forgiveness thing, it's not just for the defining hurts. It is for those two. But this is just a walking with Jesus thing and being a Christian is there's this continually continual cleansing of coming to this place where we love people and we forgive all people. That's how you walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's so necessary to your relationship with Jesus. And so this, me- this message is for all of us. It's not just for some of us who have been really badly hurt. All of us uh, need this. But if you still feel the need to talk about the hurt someone did to you, the lie they told, the exaggeration, the abuse, whatever it was, if you still feel the need to talk about it, the fact that you still need to talk about it, notice what Joseph, they come to him, I mean, this guy's got 20 years of hurts. He's got lots of things to talk about and get off his chest. He hasn't been able to tell them. And yet, they come to him, and what comes out of his mouth? How's dad, please stop feeling guilty. That's unbelievable. You can't fake that. His heart is just so healed up that woundedness isn't there anymore. He doesn't feel the need to rehash it. He doesn't doesn't feel the need to take them through blow by blow all of his hurts so that they can feel that guilt and that pain. Because there's no pain there, he's got a healed hurt. That hurt has been healed up. He's been able to let go of it. He's been able to forgive. And if you still need to talk about the hurt, it means you're not done forgiving yet. Now, I do want to say this. Some of you might be saying there, well, are you saying we should never talk about a hurt? Well, no. There is a place in the healing process. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking even on, on, on like the world stage. I'm thinking of, you know, in, in the 1990s in South Africa there when apartheid came down, the blacks and whites and all that sort of stuff. And they had these truth and reconciliation commissions. And they would, you know, put victims, they put blacks and whites together and, and victims and perpetrators and they would talk about their hurts and then they would work through forgiveness. And awesome thing, I'm totally not against that. I'm not saying you can never talk about your hurts. I'm also, you know, I, I've talked to people here in this church, you know, sometimes when they're grown, they're grown up, they're adults or whatever, they were maybe abused when they were kids, they go back to a parent and they sit down as part of the, you know, the reconciliation progra- you know, process and they talk about some of the hurts that were done to them and, and it's part of the process. I'm not against that. Not at all. There's a a time and a place in the healing process, in the forgiving and healing process, where sometimes, you know, if you talk to the appropriate people in the appropriate way about some of the hurts that happened to you, it can be really important. And also, I totally know, I mean, that's what the church is here for. You know, you need to pray with a pastor about hurts. We love to do that. You need to talk about some of the things that happened to you, and someone prays with you and helps you. All of that is so good for healing and forgiving. I'm not talking about that. What I am saying is this. Okay, here's what I am saying. If you still need to talk about it, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. You might be on the process. You might be on the way to forgiving. You might be in the healing and forgiving process. But as long as you still need to talk about it, that pain is still there. You haven't, felt, you haven't received the full release. You haven't been fully healed. You have not been able to forgive yet. What we see in Joseph is the finished product. These guys show up in front of him, and he doesn't need to rehash it all. Like you would think, for sure the stuff he's been through, we're going to need to talk about this, guys. The hurt is gone. There's nothing to talk about. How's dad? Please stop. Don't feel guilty anymore, guys. I love you guys. I'm so glad to see you. That is what forgiveness looks like at the end. That is true forgiveness. Now, I'm also not saying, you know, this has to happen overnight. I'm not saying you're sitting here today, and you've got some things you've carried around with you for years and years. Or someone just did something horrible to you yesterday and you have to be over it by the next day. You have to be healed and right at the end of the forgiveness process. No, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how long it took Joseph to get there. We see him at the end of the 20 years. When the 20 years is up, he comes up, there's no bitterness. He's not wallowing in that pain. He doesn't need to keep rehashing it. He's completely healed and over it. But we don't know how long that took him. How long was he walking that through with God to get to that place? We don't know. Was it a year, a few years? Was it it many years? We we don't know. There is a process, but here's what you have to know. Until you're at that place, you're not done the process. Full and complete forgiveness looks like that. Now, just to show you how deep Joseph's forgiveness and healing went, okay? I'm going to jump ahead to Genesis 50. We're going to jump to the end of this story because I want to show you this isn't just one passage. I'm not just taking one passage and you know, Joseph's first response was real good, but if you looked at him two hours later or two years later, you'd find there was a lot of hurt still simmering underneath there. If we jump ahead 17 years, I want to show you that the forgiveness went right, it just went right to the heart. His his heart just didn't have pain anymore about the hurts. If we go ahead, 17 years, okay, so Genesis 45, his brothers come, he Don't don't feel bad anymore, guys. I love you. I'm over We don't even need to talk about it. I want to help you guys. I want to love you guys. They go, they can't even believe it. They go back, they get dad, they get Jacob, and they all move into Egypt, okay? Jacob lives 17 years in Egypt before he dies. So so he gets 17 years yet. He lost a whole bunch, he lost 20 years with his son Joseph, and then God gives him at the end, he blesses them, they get 17 years together. I just love the goodness of God in that. But anyway, at the end of the 17 years, Jacob dies in in Egypt and now the boys get scared because they're like, maybe, maybe Joseph was just faking it all this time, right? Like maybe he just didn't want to upset dad by killing us all while he was still alive. So he's just been faking it for 17 years and now he's really going to get us, okay? Now first of all, to fake that level of forgiveness that we saw there for 17, that's not even possible, okay? You know, to keep yourself from punching someone, Uh, you know, maybe you can hold that back. But to actually have love and kindness for someone, that that can't be fake. But anyway, they're afraid. Okay? They're afraid. And so uh, what do they do? These rascals, they decide that they're going to make a lie. Okay? And so they've come a long way. Let's not be too harsh on them, right? They've come a long way. They're a lot different than they were when they first sold them off. We saw last week how the change of heart in Judah, especially amazing through godly remorse, but they're, they're not all the way there yet, okay? And so what are we going to do? Panic situation? Let's lie, okay? So let's read it here and let's see how deep Joseph's forgiveness really goes, okay? Verse 15, chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. So they're just going to make it up now and and manipulate things and use dad to do it right okay so say to joseph please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the god of your father okay so these guys they have come a long way they have come a long way they're different than they were but when push comes to shove and the pressure is on they don't they haven't learned to trust god yet and you know, I just have to stop here even right, right now. This is a little rabbit trail of the forgiveness thing, but I wonder how many of us are the same way. Like, we look at these guys and go, oh, look, there they go again, lie." How many of us, I wonder, when the pressure's on, we don't know how to just stand firm in integrity and truth and honesty and just take whatever God's bringing our ways, take whatever punishment in some cases we deserve and just stand there and trust God to take care of us and don't we resort just like these guys to using our mouths to kind of try and duck and weave and get out of things and exaggerate and lie and make excuses and do all this sort of stuff to manipulate events so we don't have to face up to reality. That's what these guys are doing here. But anyway, let's look at Joseph's response because we're going to see now how real Joseph's forgiveness was very next verse, so they tell him, yeah, so they're lying, you know, dad said, please forgive us, so he, you can just see the fear there. And what does Joseph do when he sees their fear? Joseph wept when they spoke to him, okay? Jo- Joseph and Donovan are going to get along just great in heaven, all right? <laughs> get together and, oh, he's here, okay. We're going to cry together for a few hours and just cry, but anyway, just for the sake of it, but anyway, Joseph wept. He, he went, look, look at this guy's heart, Okay? I mean, here's this, these guys did really bad things to him. I mean, if there's any leftover in his heart of, of like, I mean, these guys hurt me. I mean, and we often have this little bit of leftover. We still want them to feel guilty, even years later, okay? We've mostly forgiven them. We mostly don't need to talk about it anymore. But we just, you know, if they're thinking about it, they better still feel bad about it. I mean, this is, and this is Joseph's chance. So now they're, they're still feeling bad about it. You would think Joseph would feel a little bit good about that. Like, well, good. Serves them right that they're still a bit scared. Serves them right that they still have that guilt hanging over their heads. In fact, this is his chance to kind of take advantage of these, this thing. Isn't it true that many of us, we actually, you know, when someone's hurt us, we'll often, later they'll repent and then we'll try to hold it over them. I mean, I've seen this happen in marriages where there's been adultery, guy commits adultery, terrible thing. We've, you know, we talk about that, that's terrible. You gotta come to godly, so you gotta co- come to godly repentance, that's an awful thing. Then the guy later does repent, comes back, she takes him back, but for the rest of his life, she just kind of holds it over him, and, he, and that sort of becomes the dominant one in the relationship because she can always hold that little bit of guilt over him. That's Joseph's chance to hold a bit of guilt over these guys, to make them do whatever he wants, to make them feel bad. They write back and they they say to him, oh, we're so scared, please forgive us. And when he sees that, instead of taking advantage of it and trying to use their guilt to control them, instead of, you know, enjoying the fact that they still feel guilty about what they did to him, he weeps. He cries. He actually hurts for them because he doesn't want them to keep feeling that way. So we go to the next verse. I mean, this is just a whole nother level of forgiveness. God's level of forgiveness. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him. So I mean, again, this is his chance to use their guilt to basically make them his slaves. Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said he won't take it from them. He just genuinely deep down, he is so healed, he is so over, he is so let go of his past that he hurts for them that they can't get over it. I mean, he's the one who was hurt. He's so over it, he wants the guys who did it to get over it. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Like Look, he cares about their families. He wants them to do well. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Two more things I want to show you, because I I said before I'm going to show you four things. What does true forgiveness look like? Because sometimes we just talk about forgiveness. You know, Christians, we talk so much about forgiveness. we got to forgive, we got to forgive. And I think often down at its root, we just don't really understand what it is. And so we kind of say with our lips, well, I forgave him, and we hope that's enough because we don't know how to do anything more. We don't know what it should look like. This is what it looks like. You know you've finished truly forgiving someone from the heart when you can speak kindly about them and to them and not be faking it, Right? Like that, he speaks kindly to them. This is his chance to lord it over them. This is his chance to use subtle barbs, right? We use subtle barbs to bring the guilt back up, to hurt, to remind. He doesn't want them to remind, he doesn't want them to remember. He speaks kindly to them. He speaks kindly about them, he speaks kindly to them. And number four, you know you've finished truly forgiving someone from the heart when you genuinely desire to help them, you want their best. You want the best for their family can you imagine what it would be like to live at this level of forgiveness how many of us are still tied to things in our past and maybe you're sitting here today and it's not something you think about all the time but there's certain people certain situations and certain memories when they come up they just stir up this kind of like i don't like that person I resent that person. That was so much pain. We want them to feel it. We sometimes have to remind them. We have, sometimes have to remind others. And we're actually still chained into our past. Here's Joseph. This guy was humiliated and sold into slavery by his own brothers. I mean, that is a deep hurt. And then he went through all the other stuff we've been talking about in this series. Tons of bad stuff. False accusations and dungeon, all sorts of stuff. I mean, if anybody had deep, 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 deep hurts that should have kept him in bad memories for the rest of his life, it was Joseph. But here we see this guy totally set free. He can be kind to the people who did that stuff to him. He's not mad at them. There's no trace of resentment or bitterness in his heart anymore. He's completely free. They're still chained, and he's trying to help them get unchained from the past where he got hurt. It's a whole other level. Can you imagine being at that place where your heart is that healed, that there isn't a single person in your life that I could could bring their picture in front of your face and you would feel only love and kindness toward them. That's freedom. Where things from your past could be brought up and yeah, hey, that wasn't a good thing I went through, but there's not that pain there that continually annoys you and makes you have to bring it up and talk about it. That's freedom. So now we have to look at the question, how, how do we get this to this place and this level of forgiveness? Well, there's not a formula. You know, a lot of times people want to turn things, and there's lots of practical things we can do, and I'm not against that when preachers talk about practical things for forgiveness. Totally awesome. I'm not against that, but it's, forgiveness like this isn't a formula. It's not step one, step two, step three, and then you will have forgiven like Joseph. Not Not possible. See, here's the thing about formulas. Formulas are good for our minds. We love formulas because, oh, Chris said, there's the level of forgiveness that Joseph had. I just have to do this, 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 and then I'll have forgiven there too. And it just connects with our minds. The fact of the matter is this kind of forgiveness is something that comes out of the heart. It's who Joseph was. He wasn't putting on a show. He wasn't checking off boxes of what forgiveness looks like. It's just what he did. Here, you bring the guys into his presence who did all this hurt to him and what spills out? Kindness. What spills out? I want to help you guys. That's just what forgiveness. It's a heart thing. There's no formula to that. But certainly there are things that need to be present in your heart and in your life in order for you to have the kind of heart that can do what Joseph did. So I want to talk about now in the rest of this message how to forgive like Joseph. And the first and most important thing you're going to need, if you're going to forgive like Joseph, isn't a thing at all, he's a person. If you're ever going to, fit, and this is going to sound so redundant, it's going to sound so much like anticlimactic, like really that's the answer, but the answer, if you want to forgive like Joseph, is you're going to actually need God. Lots of God. You're going to need God. You're going to need lots of God. You said, oh, that's what your answer is to everything. Yeah. That's why you came to church this morning. He is the answer to everything. He's the answer to everything. You can't, what Joseph did to his brothers, I defy you to try to do that in your human strength. You might be able to fake it. You may be able to hold yourself back so you don't get terrible revenge, but there's no way you're going to be able to show that kind of kindness, that level of compassion, that level of, I don't even want you guys to hurt over the stuff you did to me. There's no way. You can't do that on your own human strength. You're going to need a whole dose of God. And what I'm going to show you now, I'm going to show you these passages again. We're going to look at that Genesis 50 chapter again, and we're going to look at Genesis 45, because I want to show you something. In Joseph's, in all of his responses to his brothers, I want you to notice how much God spills out of his mouth. Rather than all kinds of hurt and pain spilling out of his mouth, it's God this, God that, God's in control, God put me here, God's working this for good, God is good, God's with me. It's God, 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 God. God. Everything. He doesn't even say, I. It's not, it's not even like, you know, well, have you, have you forgiven us, Joseph? Well, I've forgiven you. I've let it go. I mean, th- that wouldn't be a bad thing to say to someone. I'm not saying it's bad to say, I've forgiven you. But I want to show you in both of his responses here, he doesn't even really talk about himself. It's all about God. And this is the very heart. This is the very source. This is the very reason why he's able to walk in forgiveness like he is able to walk in forgiveness. Let's look at this. Verse uh, verse 19, 50 verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. How could I be mad at you if God planned this whole thing out? How could I be mad at you if God is good and God's in control? How could I be mad at you if God's been in this thing the whole time? How could I be mad at you if God's saving my life through this? It's God, God, God. The focus isn't even on him. He's not being a forgiving person because he's thinking about forgiveness. He's forgiving them as the automatic outpouring of a completely God-filled mind. A God-filled heart. If we go back to chapter 45, I want to show you at his first meeting with them. I want to show you, it's the same thing. Verse 5. Joseph said to them, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. The reason Joseph is able to be who he's able to be is not because he put some formula in place and was a super amazing person who was just able to forgive because he did X, Y, and Z. The reason Joseph was able to let go of tremendously deep, harsh, Hurtful things in his life was because he saw everything in his life through the lens of God I mean he you do you see in his response when we're hurting it's all about me isn't that true Even when we're legitimately hurting and now we see these people do you know what you did to me I have to forgive you now. I'm trying to forgive you, but it's I I I Joseph can't even begin to talk about himself His mind is just so filled with God He just sees the whole thing through the lens of God. That's why he's able to be healed God was with me. God is in this. God is good. God is doing this. God's bringing us together. He sees everything through the lens of God. Everything is viewed through the perspective of God and the prism of God. And as a result of looking at things that way and having a God-filled consciousness, what is the automatic outflowing? He doesn't have to fake forgiveness. He doesn't have to, you know, do this, this, and this, and this is what forgiveness looks like. He just is it. He just lives it. He's just kind to them. I don't hurt anymore. That's that stuff you did to me. I mean, it wasn't good what you did to me, but it doesn't hurt me anymore because I have a different way of looking at this thing. Now, here's the thing about getting a God-filled consciousness like that, getting to a place where you view everything in your life. Can you imagine, by the way, just, just think for a moment what it would be like, what your life would be like if you could view every person and everything that ever happened to you through the lens of God, do you think your life would be different? Do you think your life would be different? Those people that really annoy you, irritate you, that you hate, that you resent because of the things they did to you, those, those memories, those things you went through that still bring you pain, that still bring up these old wounds. Can you imagine if you could look at everyone and everything through the lens of God? That's that's why Joseph was like how he was like. And if you could look at your entire life and all the people in your life through the lens of God, you would be a radically different person. You'd have a lot more joy and you'd be totally free of your past. You would have memories of your past, but they wouldn't hurt you anymore. Now here's the thing about that kind of a perspective. There's a price to pay for it. Here's the thing about getting, you, you don't just wake up in the morning. Joseph didn't just wake up one morning and go, oh, I see everything through the lens of God. That's really cool. Like neat. Like awesome. I just, woo, everything just feels so much better. I look at everything through the lens of God. It doesn't just happen automatically. And I mean, the proof is just look around you. Look at all of us and how we live. Just calling yourself a Christian, praying a prayer to have Jesus come into your heart, and going to church every week doesn't give you that lens, doesn't give you that perspective. Most of us fail to attain to that level of forgiveness and love for people and healing because there's a price to pay. There is a price to pay. Joseph paid a steep price to come to a place in his life where he could look at all his past hurts and all his past things and all those things and have them totally released and not cause him any more woundedness. Say, well, what's that price? What's the price we pay to come to a place where we can wear God's glasses and we can see the world through God's eyes and we can see our lives through God's eyes? Well, I want to show you that, and we're gonna go to Isaiah chapter 55. We're gonna jump out of Genesis here for just a few minutes. I want to go to Isaiah 55, famous passage, and I wanna show you the price we pay to put on God's glasses and look at our lives through God's eyes. Starting in verse 8, we're going to read verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to go back and we're going to read the whole chapter up to verse 9. We're going to start here, famous passage. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Famous passage, right? For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My thoughts are not, first of all, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You want want to put on God's glasses? His thoughts are not your thoughts. You want to put on God's perspective? You want to put on God's heart? You you can't just think them up on your own because they're not your thoughts. They're his thoughts. Your thoughts are death. Your thoughts can't figure it out. Your thoughts keep you tied to your past and keep you in pain. His thoughts are not your thoughts. In fact, they are so much higher than your thoughts that they are as much higher than your thoughts as the heavens are above the earth so can you physically jump up and touch heaven no can you physically jump up and touch the moon not a chance doesn't matter some of us can jump higher some of us can jump lower it doesn't matter how high you can jump as a human being you can't get anywhere near to touching the moon with it by jumping And in the same way, it is impossible for us human beings. In the same way, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high God's thoughts are and God's ways are and God's perspective is than our ways. In other words, you can't just sit down and figure out God's thoughts about your life. You can't sit down and figure out his perspective about the people around you. You can't sit down and figure out his perspective about the things that have been done to you. You can't get any of that because they're his thoughts, they're his ways, they're his perspective, and they're that much higher than you and and me than the heavens are above the earth. Now that's a problem. Because I just said to you that without God's thoughts, without looking at it through God's perspective, without looking at your life through God's perspective, you can't do what Joseph did, which is utterly, totally forgive from the bottom of your heart with no pain and resentment left over. You can't do that without God's thoughts, but you can't get God's thoughts because they're too high for you. So the question is how do we get God's thoughts? Well the amazing thing is we often take this verse this verse this passage is often in devotionals it's a little snippet out again and this is where devotionals often miss it because they give you a snippet but they don't give you the whole context. The rest of chapter 55 show is a build up to verses 8 and 9 where we see that God's thoughts are too high for us but the first 7 verses tell us what we are to do to get God's thoughts. And there's a price we pay and the price we pay is that we must press into his presence. We must seek him diligently and we must listen to him. I want you to notice, I'm going to read you the first seven verses now, I want you to notice how often the words seek, come to me, listen, incline, diligently, all those sorts of things. I want you to see how many times that it's emphasized in the first seven verses that we must push into God's presence if we're going to get his thoughts. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is not satisfied? So in this first couple of verses we see, come to me, come to me, come to me. Notice he does not say, hey, just sit there, and one day I'll come to you and make it all happen. Just keep coming to church, mind your own business, just keep going to work, don't make any space in your life for me, and I'll make sure that because you're a Christian, and call yourself a Christian, I'll make sure I come to you and give my perspective to you. No. Those who want God's thoughts must come to him. Keep going, next next verse, listen diligently to me. And I love that word diligently, not just listen to me, not just, you know, I see sometimes with people, you got some deep hurt they've carried around for 30 years, fine, okay, you guys say I got to hear God, I'm going to sit down and listen with someone for 30 seconds or 5 minutes or 10 minutes, well, I didn't get anything, fine, I guess I'll just keep going. God says, listen diligently. You make space in your life. The whole desire of your life is, Jesus, I must, I must get your perspective. I must get your thoughts or I will not be able to do the things that you're calling me to do. I will not be able to forgive like you're calling me to forgive. And you push in over days, over weeks, over months, whatever it takes, but you make space in your life and you listen diligently. You pursue God. Listen diligently To me, you make space in your life and you seek me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. See the seeking, the calling, the listening, the inclining, the coming to God. This is our part. This is the price you pay. You will pay a price of seeking. You will pay a price of making space in your life to quiet your heart and to seek after God. You will pay a price if you want to put on his glasses. But that is the only way to come to a place of forgiveness and healing like what we see with Joseph. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We actually have to forsake our human thinking. We have to forsake man's thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And now we get the famous part. Verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is why we have to seek, because you can't think his thoughts on your own. So you have to seek him because his thoughts are not yours. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the thing about God He has, I mean, He's got a universe, he's, He sees all things, He's all knowing. He is sovereign. He is in control of the universe. Did you know he has higher and better thoughts about every single thing that's ever happened to you? He saw saw from the beginning of time everything that would play out in your life. He saw it all. He's sovereign. He's got a plan. He will turn it for your good if you will let him. And so he has higher, better thoughts about everything he has allowed to happen to you in your life. He has higher, better thoughts about every person in your life, from the person who annoys you to the person you just can't stand and you resent because they've hurt you. He has higher, better thoughts about each of them. He has higher, better thoughts about everything that's happened in your life. And all what you need to do is come to him. You need to press into his presence. You need to get his thoughts, and his thoughts go past the intellect. It's not formula. They go past the intellect, and you get his perspective, and you get his heart, and they touch your heart, and they set you free from your past, and they set you free from resentment and hate. I know what some of you are sitting there, though. You're sitting there and you're thinking, well, Chris, fine, in theory. But you don't know. You don't know some of the really awful, terrible, horrible things that have happened to me in my life. You understand, Chris, there's no way. It's so dirty, it's so gross, it's so vile, it's so evil, what was done to me, you don't know. There's no way God can redeem that. In fact, just thinking about it makes me mad, Chris, because how could a loving God stand by and watch while that happened? And you might be objecting. You might say it's impossible to get to a place like Joseph did of that kind of healed upness from the pain to be able to forgive and be kind like that. That's impossible because this one is too dark. It's too painful. Well, I have two things I want to say. That I'm going to start with an example. The first thing I want to talk about is Rwanda. In Rwanda right now, 1994, famous, been on the news. Obviously years ago, 1994, horrible, horrible genocide. One of the worst things has ever happened in human history on planet Earth was a genocide where the Hutus killed, hacked to death, murdered, butchered about a million Tutsis in a three-month period. Horrible. I'm reading a book about it right now. It's just, it's just devastating. Devastating. And the, the thing, the crazy thing about how wicked and evil it was, was that it wasn't just the army clinically going, you know, that would be bad enough. I mean, that's evil. That's already evil. But it wasn't just the army going along and systematically killing people. It was neighbors, the whole populace rose up. They actually, and they planned it for years, and they s- distributed machetes to the whole population of Hutus, and then neighbors who had been, they'd lived side by side with Tutsis for generations, decades. They would eat at each other's homes, all that sort of stuff, and then this thing flares up, and neighbors go to neighbors' houses, and they rape, they hack children to death in front of parents, they kill. It's so awful. I mean, even, I'm just touching, this, it's just, it's so wicked, it's so evil. And you would just say, there's no way that can be redeemed. How can a loving God look at that and let that happen? There's no way that can be redeemed. There's no way you can overcome that kind of pain. There's no way a person like that could come to a place like Joseph and say, I'm, you know, kindness and I don't even need to talk about it and all this sort of stuff. And I just wish you guys wouldn't even feel guilty about it anymore. There's no way you can get healing. That is just too, it's too bad. And yet, right now, today, the Christian church is alive and thriving in Rwanda. The Holy Spirit is moving. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stories of Tutsis who have completely and totally forgiven their Hutu neighbors. In fact, in many cases, they're still living side by side. In many cases, it's a single woman or a single man where the whole family was killed by the neighbors. They still live next door to the neighbor. Can you imagine living next door to the guy who did all that to you? You, you see him every day. You see him every day for the rest of your life. The guy who did that to you? You can live there and now you can go to his house and eat again and you can have forgiveness and you can love each other and have harmony like what they have there now. Thousands upon thousands of stories like that. I love a quote I read, this book I'm reading. Bishop John Ruchiahana, one of the big church leaders in Rwanda. And this is what he says about how you get forgiveness like that. I've seen people, I'm going to put it up there on the screen, there it is. I've seen people forgive those who killed their loved ones. I've watched survivors and perpetrators cry together and hug each other through their tears. Now look what he says: something like that requires the presence of God. Notice it's not a formula. It's not. This, 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 this. There's only. There's one thing you need. You need See, because this is the thing. This is the second thing I want to say about this. Your human brain is too puny to figure out how that evil in your life could be reconciled with God's good plan. And you'll kill yourself trying. Your puny human brain is too small to figure out how good can come from that, how God could have loved you in the middle of that, and how this could be part of His plan for your life. Your brain is too puny to figure it out. And so the longer you try, the more there's just pain and it doesn't go away. And you can't forgive and you can't let go. So you don't need a formula, you need God's different thoughts. You need to see that He sees the whole universe. He has this plan from eternity to eternity and He is good and His goodness dwarfs the evil around us. We have none of that in perspective. Our brains are way too small. And so we need what the Rwandans are finding. Something like that, you can't think your way through it. You need the presence of God. You actually need the Holy Spirit to come and you need to press into His presence and you need to get a new set of thoughts from on high. Something like that requires the presence of God. I could never go to a single prison to preach without the power of God. Notice, God, 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 God. Sounds a lot like Joseph. We North Americans are always talking about ourselves. It's probably part of the reason why we can't do the things we're supposed to do. It's just God. Without God, I would hate such killers with all my heart. But with God, I can truly say that I love them. See, your puny human earthly thoughts Cannot comprehend the infinite goodness of God. Someday we're gonna see him. Someday, if you're following him and you've repented of your sins, I don't just mean people, everyone who called themselves a Christian has done that, but people who genuinely repented. We're gonna see God. And suddenly we're gonna have a perspective about life that we never had before because he is so infinite in his in goodness. His his goodness is so amazing, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it actually dwarfs. His goodness will swallow up the evil. That was a part of human history. It'll just swallow up. It'll be gone. And we'll sing, It was worth it all. It was worth it all. But we don't have that perspective now. We have the earthly perspective. We cannot see how God's goodness and how his plan and all that, we don't see how that works with the evil we see around us every day. And so we need to push into him And then he gives us his higher perspective. And when we get that, again, it sinks past the intellect it goes to the heart, and suddenly, like Joseph, we can actually genuinely love the people who have hurt us. And we can genuinely be set free of the things that were in our past. We don't even want them to feel bad about it anymore because we don't feel bad about it anymore. But we need God's thoughts for that. That's what happened with Joseph. I want to read you one last time. I want you to see Joseph's perspective one last time here. If we go back to Genesis 45... Joseph says to them, you know, don't be distressed. Don't feel bad about any more, guys. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He paid a price for that thought right there. That thought didn't just come into his head. I don't know when it happened. Was it when he was in the dungeon? Was it one of those days at Potiphar's house when things were looking really bleak? But somewhere along the road, Joseph pushed. He He wasn't just walking along and, hey, you know what? this whole thing doesn't bother me anymore because God must have sent me here. And he just thinks this thing up and he's just like, wow, I, this doesn't bother me anymore. No. That, pri- that thought right there, he paid a price for. Somewhere along the way, he got alone with God and one day he encountered God and Yahweh, the Holy Spirit, came and said to him, "Your brothers and he's hurting. Oh, God, how could my brothers do that to me? I hate them. I resent them. I can't believe they would do that to me. And somewhere along the way, he pressed in the presence of God. And God came and said, Joseph, they didn't send you there. I sent you here to preserve life. He paid a price for that thought. Somewhere along the way, though, God gave him his glasses and said, I sent you here to save lives, your lives, your kids' lives, and your family's lives. Set them free. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. But here's the thing. You can't live off of Joseph's thoughts from God. You need to get your own thoughts from God. It's not enough for you to just take a formula. Well, Joseph said that God sent me here to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Your situation is totally different. This is not a formula. You can't take my thoughts from God that I got from God and apply them to your situation and hope to be healed. You need to do what Joseph did and have an encounter with God for yourself. You all know, never forget praying with a man one time and he had been really badly hurt by someone in his past. And so we were praying together cuz he just he couldn't let it go. And I I get that. We can't. Our human thinking is too low. We can't let go of those hurts. So said, he couldn't let it go. And I didn't. And so you give advice, right? That's what we always do. Give advice, give advice. Finally, oh, none of the advice is working. Oh, maybe we should talk to God. So let's pray. Yeah, at this point, I'm like, oh, God, you've got to do something. So I said, Jesus, he needs your perspective. He needs your perspective. You have to show him how you saw this thing that happened to him. So we wait. I open my eyes. I start watching him. He's sitting there, his eyes closed, quiet. All some tears just start streaming down his face. And I'm thinking, well, I hope that's good. Tears just streaming down his face. Finally, I just, I just leave him. He just sits there quietly for a while. Finally, he opens his eyes. I said, so? Did Jesus show you anything? He said, yeah. He said, I... He showed me how this person who really hurt me was himself really badly hurt. He showed me how this person who hurt me went through all kinds of horrible junk himself. And what he was doing to me wasn't personal. It wasn't about me. It was just his hurt. That's all he knew. And in that moment, his heart totally set free. The stuff had still happened to him. It wasn't good stuff that happened to him. But the moment he could see it with God's eyes, oh, it wasn't personal. It wasn't about me. This person was hurt too. Now, it went from resentment that he couldn't get rid of to compassion for this person who had hurt him. But he paid a price. The price is you've got to get alone with God. You've got to push into his presence and you've got to get his thoughts. You've got to keep pressing until he gives you his perspective. And the fact of the matter is that many of you here today, you know, there's, there's something that can be real dangerous about coming here to Southland. And one of the things that can be real dangerous about coming here to Southland is we talk about hearing God a lot. If you just hear about God, about God, about God, about God, and you never do it, that's dangerous to your soul. It's dangerous because it just becomes this hardened crust that you do nothing about. doesn't wake you up. Some of you have been here for so long, you're still playing in the shallow end. You still haven't gone into the deeper things of God. And at some point, your will just needs to rise up and say, I've had enough of hearing about hearing God. I need to hear God. And it's the only thing that's going to do it for you because there are no formulas to the Christian life. It's God. It is God. So there's a progression to forgiveness. I want to just put this up there. Here's the progression to forgiveness. And this is not something you do once in your life. This is a continual thing because, I, again, I, guarantee, I pretty much guarantee you in the last year, someone's done something to hurt you. I'm pr- I, I can pretty much guarantee you I could probably go through your last year we could go month by month and I could find some people who have done some bad things to you. And if I bring them up to you right now, you're not thinking about them now, but if I brought them up to you right now, you'd have some resentment. This is an ongoing thing. You press in the presence of God and you release these things and you move on in freedom. But there's a progression of forgiveness. In order to forgive totally and completely, you must be able to cut the chains of hurt that tie you to your past. And the only way you're ever going to do that is if you get God's higher thoughts, perspective, and heart. You'll never do it on your own. But the only way you're going to get God's higher thoughts and perspective and heart, it's not just going to happen to you. You're going to have to seek him. You're going to have to pay a price. You might have to fast. You're going to have to create space in your life, but you're going to have to push into his presence, and you're going to have to hear his voice. So I'm going to pray for you we're going to sing one final song here but before i do i want to give you a weekly challenge i'm i'm kind of dorky that way i like giving these challenges i think they just give you it just gives you something to do during the week to remind you of the message and maybe take a step of obedience that the holy spirit can respond to but i would challenge you to do this this week i would challenge you to ask god two questions this week you might be sitting here you might think oh, i've got no one okay well then you won't have any problem doing this exercise just take, your, take a piece of paper and a pen, do it as many days as you, as you want until God stops giving you stuff. But ask God two questions. Do I have any unresolved hurts or bitterness or anger in my life? Just ask Him that question. Number two, is there anyone in my life I hate or resent or am bitter towards? Ask Him those questions, and then just sit there and let Him bring anything to mind. Write down whatever He shows you. Just do it, just to see You'll never be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll never walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You'll never walk in the fullness of joy as long as you have bitterness and resentment and pain from your past holding you back. Number two, I would encourage you, whether you've been on five encounters or no encounters, I would encourage you to go on another one. Every time we do an encounter, people talk about forgiveness. That's a big thing that happens every time. They're able to let go of stuff from their past. We have an encounter coming up three weeks from now and it's only 50 bucks, Mennonites. It's only 50 bucks and that's food. Yeah, really good food. I'm not lying to you. It's really good food, Friday and Saturday. We don't make any money off of that retreat. In fact, uh, we subsidize it. We, we lose money on it um, because it's ministry. And uh, I would just encourage you, sign up for an encounter. Sign up for another one. It's just a regular cleansing process. Lastly, uh, here at the church, we just love to pray with people. We have whole trained groups of ministers who on Wednesday and Thursday nights, they meet with people just to pray with them. So call the church, we have pastors, we have these trained ministers, and come pray with someone. Um, But we need to walk in the fullness of forgiveness. I want you to stand, I want you to pray, I want to pray for you that God's going to begin to open up your heart and your mind to his thoughts and his ways and his perspective. I can't think of a better gift, a better blessing. And then we're going to worship him because he is good. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Jesus in the Gospels, you talked much about forgiveness you said that if we would not forgive others, you would not forgive us. You have forgiven us much. So now, Jesus, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit this week. Lord, I, I, I think a revival would break out here. If we would actually let go of everything from our past, if we would actually truly forgive, if this would be a church that this week and in the coming month would just truly forgive, move to a place like where Joseph was at, we, that would be a revival. We would have Your power and your presence would be here at our gatherings in a a way that would just blow us away. And so I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, we just come to you. We can't do it on our own. We need you. Every person here, we need you. We need your perspective. We need your thoughts. We need your heart. Please give it to us as we seek you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.